And again, turn now to Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. We'll pick up reading where we left off last week. Chapter 2, verse 2. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Follow along in God's word. Inerrant, infallible. Plead with your mother. Plead. For she is not my wife, and I'm not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I'll go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil. And who lavished on her silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new new moons, her Sabbaths, And all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees. Of which she said, these are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest. And the beast of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals. When she burned offerings to them. And adorned herself with her ring and jewelry. And went after her lovers And forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by my name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts. 
the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will ab- abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, You are my people. And he shall say, You are my God. Grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. Father, thank you for your word. And now help us illumine our minds. Give us us alert minds tonight. It's growing late in the day. It's easy for us to be foggy. It's easy for us to begin to be drowsy. It's easy for us to be thinking of sleep. Keep us alert that we might hear from you these wonderful words of life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is a sad chapter. It's sad in a lot of ways. It's a call to a wayward wife who is an adulterous wife. I mean, it's not like Hosea didn't know what he was getting into. As we said last week, I rehearsed with all the prophets. They have a hard job. They're told on the front end of every mission, you're going to proclaim the truth and they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to have eyes to see or ears to hear. But go and do it. And Hosea is given the task of that. And on top of that, you're going you're gonna to display before my people, you're going you're gonna to be the, the living example of life between me and them. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to go marry a prostitute, a whore. And Hosea said, here I am, my Lord, send me. That's just, I don't know how many, no, I don't even have to ask that. I know how many people would take on that one. You know, when Peter says that God spoke to us through holy men, they really were. Ultimately, of course, this is not about Hosea and Gomer, although they're real and it's a real marriage and it's a real historical event, but it's really, as I've already alluded, it's really a story about God and his people. And they're so far gone that he's having to illustrate it vividly before their face. And he picked Hosea. Hosea must have been a godly, godly man. It's a call to these people to remember their maker, to remember their redeemer, 
and to return to his loving arms. And here, Gomer has left. We landed there last week. And yet, in the midst of her leaving, God had given hope to them, right? There's going to come a time when no mercy is going to be mercy. And not my people is going to be my people. That's verse 1. And now, this pleading that's issue. This instruction to go and plead with your mother. And that's, that's the basis then for the vast majority of the commentators to say this is obviously Hosea sending his children to, to, to cry and beg with their mother to come back home. Plead with your mother. Because see, it wouldn't be Hosea pleading with his mother. Israel, the people of Israel, was not his mother in that regard. This whole chapter is just terribly sad. It's, as we say, a tearjerker. You know, it's gut-wrenching. I think you probably noticed that as I read through it. And so the call is, go, tell her to come home. Tell her that I love her. Tell her that I still care. Tell her that I will forgive her for everything. I mean, this, this is... This is made-for-Hollywood stuff right here, only it's told honestly, and it gives you the whole sordid picture and doesn't glamorize anything. Makes everything look real, and the real is not pretty. Sin never is. Two simple points. Adultery is not glamorous. We could substitute sin period, is not glamorous, but the case here is obviously adultery. It's worse than adultery, if you can say that, in that it's, 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 um, it is multiple adultery cases. Gomer is a professional prostitute. She was before he married her, and she has gone back if she ever left and quit her ways. She's gone back to that way. And now she's not living with Hosea. And so the children are involved. Everyone's involved. And what's going on here, even though it's sad and it's full of details... This whole chapter is a playing out of the fulfillment of verse 1. That's where chapter 1 culminated, right? We saw that last week. Chapter 2, verse 1. No mercy will be mercy. Not my people will be my people. And now the story of how that's going to take place is told. And it's complicated and it's complex and it's sorted, but it ends. Did you notice? I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he, not my people who is now my people, no mercy who is now mercy will say, you're my God. They're going to turn from the Baal worship. They're going to turn to the worship of the one true God. So chapter 2, 
2 and following is the fulfillment of chapter 1. So let's look at it. Again, the two simple points, adultery is not glamorous. And then the second point is very simple as well. God's love is amazing. And so they're sent out and call, call your mom. And it's a picture ultimately, as I've already said, of God stooping down and, and saving his people over and over and over again, redeeming his people. In, uh, in 1975, I didn't remember that right off. I had to look it up. I did remember the song, but I didn't remember the year exactly. I knew it was in the 70s sometime. But the Eagles, perhaps the most successful monetary rock band uh, of all time, they had a big hit in 1975. It, uh, it rose up the charts. It was number two on the on the Billboard Hot 100 charts that Casey Kasem counted down every week, the top 40. And it went to number eight on the country music charts. And the name of the song was Lion Eyes. Some of you remember it. Uh, the lyrics uh, uh, tell you the story of this, this, uh, this young woman who marries well, marries very successfully, she grows restless, she grows bored with her married life, and she, she lies to her husband and she cheats on her husband. I want to read you part of it. She gets up and pours herself a strong one and stares out at the stars up in the sky. Another night... It's going to be a long one. She draws the shade and hangs her head to cry. She wonders how it ever got this crazy. She thinks about a boy she knew in school. Did she get tired or did she just get lazy? She's so far gone she feels just like a fool. My, oh, my, you sure know how to arrange things. You set it up so well, so carefully. Ain't it funny how your new life didn't change things? You're still the same old girl you used to be. That's Gomer's story right there. I don't know if Glenn Fry and Don Henley had read the book of Hosea or if they had just watched Hollywood movies. But this is Gomer. That's what we just read about Gomer. She's the one. She's the lying eye. She's the one who's living in the cheating side of town. She needed changing. Remember Gomer? She was like this before Hosea married her. Ain't it funny how her new life didn't change things? She's still the same old girl she used to be. But Hosea pursues her. And don't forget, again, the picture really ultimately is God pursuing us, his people, sinners. We're the ones that too easily go back to just the way we used to be. Week after week, day after day, 
We just kind of tend to do that, don't we? Gomer needed changing from the inside. That's why she didn't change. It's because she wasn't changed. She only changed her, her physical location. Her external forms changed, but not her inside. Her heart was not changed. And that's the same thing that goes on with us, folks. We flirt with the world. We flirt with the flesh. We commit idolatry when we veer off the path of righteousness. And that's exactly what it is. And that's what God calls it here, doesn't he? He says they're new moon celebrations. They're festivals. Giving offerings to the Baal, the gods. Idolatry. Anytime we veer off the path of righteousness, off the path of holiness, we're committing idolatry. And we don't like to think of it that way because we know God hates idolaters and God does bad things to idolaters. So we just say we, we goofed. We made a mistake. No, we committed idolatry. We commit spiritual adultery. Adultery is not glamorous. It's not hopeful. It's shameful. It's hopeless. Just like the woman in lion eyes. She hangs her head. She draws the shades. And she cries. That was Gomer. That's us when we sin. That's his church when we're not living according to his truths and we start trying to do the things of this world. I'm always amused by churches that try to be, bring the world's music into their four walls and they can never do it as well as the eagles do it. And certainly not as good as the Moody Blues could do it. It's remarkable to me. And God's insulted. But notice something here. Did you see Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, tucked away in this, this first portion, 1 through 5? Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I'm not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Do you remember what Revelation twenty-two seventeen says? The spirit says, come. And the bride says, come. The gospel call that's here. The children are the church. They're us. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is calling our wayward friends. We all have folks in this church that have strayed. Some to the point of discipline, church discipline. Others, you know, who have strayed. Friends who are members of other churches, but they've strayed. And we need to be like these children. God's instructing us to go plead with them. Call them home. Tell them. Tell them. They know where they need to be. Call them back to the Lord. Well, that brings us to what we're going to tell them. We're going to tell them about God's amazing love. And that's the second point. That's the major part 
that we want to look at here. And it really carries through this whole section as we, as we look at it. Here is apparently how the story went as we piece it together. The children, Hosea, they find Gomer. Uh, she's apparently not living well on the cheating side of town. Uh, and, and Jim Boyce, I came across this in his commentary on the Minor Prophets. He actually, uh, borrowing on his predecessor, Donald Gray Barnhouse at 10th Presbyterian Church, uh, contemporized this story. Uh, and these verses that I've read, it's, it goes something like this, is that, that uh, once they've identified where she is and the pleading has been issued, uh, Gomer, or Hosea rather, decides, you know, I'm, she's not living well. She's living in sin. She's living in a bad part of town. She's living with men who just have occasional places, temporary places, apartments here, uh, rooms here and there. It's just not a pretty thing. It's the seamy side of town. And I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of her. Did you see that in what we read? The grain being taken to her, the bread being taken, the wine being taken. She, she thinks that her lovers are providing it. But it was Hosea. So boy says, apparently the, the picture of something like this is that Hosea went and found, he knocks on the door, the man comes and he says, hey, I'm Hosea, hey, I'm John. And he says, uh, John, I'm uh, Gomer's husband. And so John backs up and says, whoa, I didn't know she was married. I had no idea she was married. And Hosea says, I'm not here to fight, not here to hurt you. Uh, I saw where she was living and I brought some things. The guy takes them, apparently takes credit for it. You, you saw that in the passage. If you missed it, read it again. She thinks her lovers are supplying these things. And later on, she comes to find out that it was not her lovers. It was Hosea. But by this time in the story, as we're reading through chapter 2, the imagery has shifted, right? It starts out Hosea and the children calling for mom. But then in there somewhere about verse 6, it shifts to God talking to Israel, his Gomer. And now he's telling Israel, I provided for you. I gave you things that you turned around and used in your Baal worship. You took the grain I provided you for your sustenance of life and you sacrificed it to the gods who aren't really gods. And that's what happened here with Hosea and Gomer. And this is what then God says to his people as Hosea to Gomer. Therefore, I will hedge her way with thorns. We read that in verse 6. She didn't know that it was I who gave her the grain. Verse 8. And again, therefore, I'll take back my grain. I'll expose her sin. I'll put an end to her pleasures. I'll punish her for idolatry. Verses 9 through 13. 
And so God says, I'm going to, you're out there, you're living this wayward life. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to head you in to where you can't have what you really want. Did you notice? She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And this is going to drive her back to her husband. Folks, that's a New Testament story if you've ever read one. In fact, you've read it in Hebrews chapter 12. God says that those I love, I discipline. If I don't love them, I don't go after them and discipline them. This is God disciplining his people. The picture, Hosea to Gomer, God to his people. That's the way God does it. If he loves you, he will discipline you. He'll head you in. He'll turn you to himself. He'll frustrate your attempts at sin. You may be able to go on in sin for a time. Our confession of faith says so. Rightly, because the Bible says so, that you may for a time sin. But God will not let you continue there. He loves you too much for that. He will bring you back to himself. Notice in verses 16 through 20, and in that day declares the Lord. Well, verses 14. Therefore, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, speak tenderly to her. I'll give her her vineyards in a place, acor, which means trouble. In a, in a valley of trouble, I'll give you a hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Notice the answer. Now, we don't know what the answer is right there. We're going to find out what the answer is. That's the next iteration of verses. Okay, so let's just keep reading. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer you will call me my Baal. See what's going on here? She was, she was worshiping Baal and all the time saying, I believe in God. That's what Israel was doing. Oh, I, we believe in God. We worship God. And all the time they were worshiping a God of their own liking and own making. The Baals. That's what God's saying. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And notice the beautiful thing here. I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land. I will make you lie down and safe. Now, listen, that has not happened yet. There, all of a sudden, we've got this projection into the future. You say, well, but, you know, it doesn't seem like this has happened. You know, God's people still wander and stray and they, they periodically drift in and out of worshiping their own gods. And, and it's going to happen. God has made a covenant that it will happen. And God will not have his covenant broken. He will accomplish it. I'll abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land. You read about that in the latter parts of Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah is a contemporary of Hosea. Hosea working 
in the context of the northern kingdom, Israel, and Isaiah to the southern kingdom. Those latter chapters of Isaiah is all about that right there, which leads us to the new heavens and the new earth. I'll betroth you to myself forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth, the grain, the wine, the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. We're back to Jezreel. Jezreel last week, the name of the son born to Hosea and Gomer. The name itself is not an unusual name. It, it doesn't mean anything bad like Lo Ruhamah and Lo Ami did. But it was a reminder to the people that back in Jezreel is where you lost it all. It's where your kings were conquered. It's where your kingdom was divided. And here he's saying, I'm going to restore. Everything is going to be restored that was lost in Jezreel. So we're running the whole gamut here, folks. To, from the immediate context of God dealing with his people right then and there. To the end. When he brings everything to its final consummation. And his covenant that he made from eternity that he expressed over and over and over historically from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to our Savior Jesus Christ and the new covenant, he will bring to fruition. And guess what? Just as all along the way, verse 20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, you shall know the Lord. To the very end, I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say, not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. He's going to bring it to fruition. Going to bring it to completion. The covenant will be kept by God because we break it. Sinners need God to intervene in their lives. He's promised to do just that for his church. It may be painful. We may, there may be great consequences to their sin. In fact, there almost always are consequences to our sins. Whether it's an individual sinning or it's the church sinning. But there's always hope. And do notice. Do notice how this thing ends. It began last week. You are my people. You have received mercy. The great promise. And here it ends with that promise being realized. And notice what the people say in response. You are my God. You are my God. Listen. I've talked to a lot of covenant children over the years who've grown up in the church. They've heard the gospel. They may have confessed their faith. 
But when you talk to them and say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ, they can't. Why is that? Well, I haven't, I could offer you a number of reasons. Sometimes because they don't know Jesus Christ. They faked it. They've just answered the right questions at the right time. Sometimes it's because they're shy. They're not very talkative. But listen, folks, this is serious. Are you able to say with a clear conscience and with full comprehension of what you mean to God, you're my God? I'm your people. I don't deserve this. You're the one who's given me everything. I've misused everything. But in your grace and your mercy, you've stooped down and you've saved me out of my wicked ways. You've had mercy on me. You have adopted me. I am your people and you are my God. That's the gospel. That's who we are. We're not God's people by birth. In fact, we're, we're said in the Bible to be his enemies. And he makes us his people. We don't deserve mercy. We don't receive mercy just by being born into this world. There is none who is righteous, not even one, the Bible says. In fact, those who are his, even their most righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to the holiness of Christ Jesus. We don't deserve mercy, and yet he gives it to us freely. We're not his people, but he makes us his people. He adopts us into the household of God, and he makes us heirs and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. And so we should say over and over, every day our confession should be, you're my God. You're my God every morning, every noon, every night, every day of every week, of every month, of every year. You're my God. You know, it's one of the confessions of the early church. They would walk, they would walk around. People would introduce themselves to them. They'd say, I'm a Christian. Polycarp, the great martyr that we know so, so little about and yet so much about. As they kept Plying him with questions in those last days and and hours and minutes. All you have to do is say that Caesar is Lord. You know what his response was? I'm a Christian. To the people around him, that was his confession of faith. But I know I know why he could say that. Because vertically, when he talked to God, he was saying, you're my God. You're my God. I am your people. And that's how we live. Not naturally, but supernaturally. Because God will pursue us. This is a great chapter. It's about God's pursuit. 
It's about God stooping down. It's about God boxing us in, keeping us from ourselves, keeping us from sending ourselves into hell and saving us. It's all because of his steadfast love that endures forever, his covenant faithfulness. And that was the picture of Hosea going after Gomer. There's obviously more to the story. There's several more chapters. But we're going to see this message play out over and over again. It's that old, old story that's just going to get repeated over and over in this little bitty book. But obviously we need to hear it over and over. But now the question. Do you see yourself, again, I asked this last week, we're Gomer. We wander. And God is faithful to frustrate our wanderings. God's willing, as we saw in here, to take away everything that he gives, to lay waste our life, to keep us from ruining ourselves. Aren't you glad? Some of you, not all of you, but some of you in this room could give testimony tonight of God frustrating your sinful life. And turning you back to himself. He frustrates our pursuits. He won't let us come back to him on our own terms either. Did you notice that? She said early on in that whole story... She said, I'll go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And after that, we've got God saying, no, not unless you give up everything. Derek Kidner, one of the really fine contemporary Old Testament commentators, and he wrote on Hosea 2, he said, Israel, like most of us, is readier to say she is sorry than to make a clean break with her way of life. That's what she did early. I'm sorry. I want to come back. And God said, no, I'm going to take everything away from you. Can't come back on those kind of soft terms. And then he brought her back. In his time, in his way. For those who are truly his, he will restore them. He will give them a good name and a life that reflects the good name. And why does God do this? Because we can't do it for ourselves because he loves us. Why did he choose Israel? Deuteronomy 7, 7 tells us because he loved them. Not because they were more righteous, not because they were more plentiful than other people, but simply because he loved them. He cast his love upon them and he cared for them. That's the covenant faithfulness of God. Maybe you're here and you never trusted this God. This is such a great story. Why would you not want a God who loves this way? And we know this kind of God only through Jesus Christ. Father, give us, give us hearts to, to love you and, and know you with the intimacy that we know this world. Increase our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.